It doesn't take talent to get up and do your rehab when you're watching TV at home and you know you need to do another set. It doesn't take extra talent to run an extra you know, ladder drill. It doesn't take extra talent to get in and get treatment um, before or after practice. If you want to get better, you can get better. This is Alan Parcells, head athletic trainer at Oratory Prep and co-owner of Premier Sports Medicine of New Jersey, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I'm interviewing Alan Parcells. He's the head athletic trainer at Oratory Prep in uh, New Jersey. Today we're going to kind of talk about, you know, this stardom or sit-em idea. So, like, where do you draw the line between helping a player, you know, play injured and play through injuries, and where do you, you know, kind of say, you know what, maybe we should take a step back, let yourself heal, and then come back to 100%. Um, so, Alan, you want to just start off by kind of talking about what got you into athletic training? Sure, absolutely. Uh, thanks very much for having me. I, I truly appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak. Yeah, um, no problem. Yeah. Uh, athletic training, um, actually, it's a funny story. I had an athletic trainer in high school, which was kind of rare. I mean, I'm not super old, but I graduated in 2004. But, um, <laughs> you know, we had a full-time athletic trainer who was an awesome guy, uh, super sarcastic, which was where I think I get a lot of my sarcasm from. Um, in my sophomore year, he had a class called Bioscience Sports Medicine. And you could take the class and you had to do mandatory athletic training room hours. You didn't really do much. You learned how to do some taping and some basic eval skills, but you weren't evaluating athletes or anything like that right. in the training room. It was a lot of, you know, um, getting water and being on the sidelines for different things. Um, so I took that class. If you wanted to just get the requirement for the class, you did five hours in the in the athletic training facility. If you wanted to go on and be um, a student athletic trainer, um, which we don't call them that anymore, but um, you could do 10 hours and then you could be part of the program. Um, so I did the 10 hours. I was really interested in it. Um, had a you know an interest in getting athletes back. Uh, I played football for a little bit in high school. Um, I was also on the track team, uh, wasn't super injured or anything like that, just a couple ankle sprains, but um, found it really interesting the way that you could rehab the body and, and do the taping and things like that. Um, so I um, had a lot of friends on the soccer team. Uh, so once I wasn't playing football anymore, I, I went into, uh, I was the athletic training student for the uh, for the soccer team. Okay. Um, you know, really kind of got interested in it when it went, became time to go to college. Um, I was talking to... Uh, our athletic trainer, his name is uh, Paul Scheich, and I was saying, you know, I'm really interested in physical therapy, and he just said, I, I guarantee you, you'll be back in athletic training, um, and I was like, okay, you know, maybe we'll see, you know, I'm really super into PT at this point, I had done some internship hours, uh, went to the University of Scranton, did an undergrad in exercise science uh, for three years, and then finished in liberal studies, because it just... Dunder Mifflin? Yeah, exactly, actually, Dunder Mifflin started <laughs> uh, right when I was actually a freshman, Okay. So uh, I remember watching the pilot episode with my freshman roommate. I love that show. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable, <laughs> uh, which is awesome because we, we, I live that. You know, I have right. so many Dunder Mifflin shirts in my closet still from college. <laughs> um, you know, so I was there, um, did, some, did some work at a local hospital uh, as a rehab aide, um, and just didn't like the whole, you know, stuck inside, uh, working, you know, primarily with a geriatric population at that clinic. Did some acute care stuff. Um, just really wasn't for me. 
So going into my senior year at Scranton, um, I made the determination that I wanted to look at athletic training programs. I thought it was a little bit better of a fit for me. So okay. I ended up, um, I went to East Stroudsburg University. Princeton of the Poconos. That's right. Exactly. Um, I was there for, uh, for two years. I did a bachelor's degree in athletic training and a master's in clinical athletic training. In Wait, two so years. you already had a bachelor's from Scranton. Yep. And you got another bachelor's from East Stroudsburg and a master's. Right. You like school, huh? Uh, Apparently. <laughs> I never thought I would be that way coming out of undergrad, but yeah. um, in athletic training, you, you have to have that bachelor's degree to, to challenge the uh, the board of certification exam. So okay. um, I was the first person at East Stroudsburg to actually do that dual dual threat program, as I like to call it. Okay. Um, so by the time I finished that, I took the BOC exam, uh, was, able to, uh, was able to pass the test on the first try, which was a big relief because I did not want to study for it again. And then uh, started my career as an athletic trainer, which I thought was cool. Once I got certified, I sent um, my old athletic trainer an email who had since retired, and he's like, I told you, I told you years ago that you'd be an athletic trainer. I never thought he would remember that, so I thought that right. was pretty neat. He didn't forget. Yeah. Um, so when did you start, like, can you tell us, like, when you first started working as an athletic trainer, like, what kind of sports you, like, enjoyed covering more than others or – yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, when I was in grad school, I was a GA uh, with men's basketball at East Stroudsburg, uh, Division II program. Uh, we were very successful that year. We were ranked top 10 in the country uh, for quite a while. They were really good. So I was really super into that. Uh, that was really my main it's part of the fun part about being in sports right. is winning. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. It made everything better. Uh, it made the hard times great because exactly. they persevered and you know, really fought, um, ended up losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament that year, but, um, you know, really fought hard. Great group of guys. Uh, what, so I, what made that, that group of guys special? Like, do you remember those guys individually? Like, what characteristics did they have that made them successful, you think? Yeah, there was a couple. There was two guys um, that were uh, 50-year seniors um, that were incredible leaders. Uh, they had a really good locker room presence. Uh, these guys were guys where we had a freshman that came in who was really good, was very, very talented, um, and got hurt right at the beginning of the season. First time he had really ever dealt with the adversity of being injured. It wasn't a severe injury, um, but he was going to miss a little bit of time, and he had never dealt with that before. And one uh, of each of those two guys was in the athletic training room with him the first couple days he was doing treatment and doing rehab, just you know, letting him know, you know you're going to have to fight through injuries. The whole team's got your back. We're going to need you if we're going to make this run. So they just having that, uh, encouraging him and having that veteran right, not presence. Not calling him a sissy or saying right. he's faking it or something like right, that. Right, exactly. That that to me was really, really neat. Um, we had a couple guys, uh, some juniors and stuff that, you know, we would see around campus and would talk to us. You know, it, it was a really neat experience. We became part of that family. And I think that's how we were able to be so successful. There was the head coach was very, very receptive of our feedback and things, and that's not necessarily something you get as a graduate assistant all the time. But he was very, very receptive, and and he he was a big time players coach, and they rallied around him and and had a great season. Awesome. So what did you do after uh, East Stroudsburg? Uh, after East Stroudsburg, I I worked for a company called um, called at the time it was Pro Physical Therapy. It's now ATI Physical Therapy. Uh, they're a very large. Um, physical therapy um, company based in the Midwest, uh, but they also have a lot of stuff in Delaware and, and um, Maryland and, and some stuff in Pennsylvania. Uh, so I took a job with that clinic um, based out of Newark, 
or Newark, I'm sorry for anyone who is in Delaware and heard <laughs> that. Um, Newark, Delaware, I lived uh, by the by the college. Um, it was funny, I actually took over my sister's apartment because she went to University the University of Delaware. Delaware and then she moved to D.C. That's a big athletic training school too, right? It is, yeah, and it PT. absolutely is. Yeah. Yep, so I, I took over her apartment and I was working at um, working out of their Jennersville, Pennsylvania location and I was at um, Avon Grove High School, which is in West Grove, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, it's a de- pretty decent-sized school. Um, so, like, you weren't an employee of the school. You were correct. I was an employee of the PT company, gotcha. and I was outsourced, which is which is fairly common um, in in Pennsylvania. It's not not as common in New Jersey because there's not a lot of full-time athletic trainers in Pennsylvania. You're saying no, there are um, school districts. You know, tend to opt towards companies that have athletic trainers and can can push them or have them into schools. Okay. Um, you know, whether it's financial or whether it's uh, whether it's resource wise, you know, um, coming from a PT clinic, obviously I had great resources with physicians and and PTs and things like that that were very sports minded, so we could facilitate a lot of things. Um, you know, so working at Avon Grove was was an adventure. It was my first uh, first real job you know, real job out of grad school. I was working with, uh, with another athletic trainer, um, who had done, uh, some, some pretty impressive things in undergrad and, and we worked really well together. Um, but I, you know, I was dating a girl from New Jersey and living in Delaware and driving to New Jersey on my, you know, one day off was not, you know, the easiest of lifestyles. So, um, after about nine months there, I, I moved to, uh, moved to New Jersey and took a job at, um, at the College of New Jersey in Ewing, uh, was there for a maternity leave position uh, for six months, and then from there I went on to be an assistant athletic trainer at uh, Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken. Um, Stevens was awesome. They I don't. Have, they don't have football either, right? They don't. No, I worked football at the high school level for the a hell, little bit. Man. I know, right? I'm just uh, and I was at T C N J in the in the spring, so we had spring football, but it wasn't anything crazy. Right. Um an oratory, so for people listening that have we haven't talked about this yet, oratory prep is an all boys school, Catholic school, right? Yes, yep. A- and there's no football team. So we're gonna talk about that at That's some point. Right. No but wrestling either. What the damn It's an athletic trainer's dream, my friend. Yeah, I was gonna say, like no no well, knock on wood, no big time injuries, hopefully. <laughs> um Okay. So I, I guess I have a question about, you know, full-time athletic trainers that that's like their job. They go to the school. They're not outsourced by a, a physical therapy practice or a company. Do you think that it's more effective as an athletic trainer to do like the best possible job to be full-time or, cause, or be outsourced from a, from a company? Uh, to be honest, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, I love being full-time at the school. Uh, here at Oratory, I, I come in, um, you know, I, I, I need to be here by 11. I'm usually here by 9 or 9.15. Um, I like to get here a little bit early. I can do some treatments during lunch periods. I know my kids. I, I have an awesome, awesome athletic director. Uh, hopefully he listens to this and hears that. <laughs> but um, he's a great guy. We work really, really well together. Um, you know, I, I help him out with some stuff. He helps me with some stuff. It's really, I'm really immersed into the family of Oratory Prep. Um, when I was at the high school, uh, when I was outsourced, I had, my responsibilities were, um, 30 hours at the school per week and 10 hours in the clinic. Um, it never worked out that way. Like, what do you mean? So I would work in the clinic, uh, in the PT clinic, um, for 10 hours a week, whether that you would see kids from the high school there. No, I would do different things. I'd do some ultrasound. I'd, you know, set stim up, you know, it was, it was sort of like being a rehab aid. 
um, in Pennsylvania at that time, and I'm not sure what it is now. Uh, athletic trainers really couldn't do much in the clinic because you couldn't reimburse for it. Gotcha. Yeah, um, you can, yeah. So that's why PTs would do an awful lot of it. So I, I spent some time with our, our team physician, uh, who's an orthopedic surgeon in, in that region, would see patients in the PT clinic, and I would help him because coming out of grad school, I had an orthotic um, fitter, uh, and um, re- I'm sorry, I think it's orthotech um, certification where I could do casting and bracing. So I would do some of that with him. I would see some patients with him. It helped me develop a really good working relationship with our team physician, um, and then I would be at the school for 30 hours. That 30 hours was never 30 hours, ever. Um, it was always, especially during preseason, which every athletic trainer knows, you know, you 40-hour work days or, or work weeks are um, few and far between most of the time. Um, so it was really sort of difficult. And then in the summer, instead of having summers off, I would work 40 hours uh, at the PT clinic. And summers were, were very long at that point. Um, right. You know, it doesn't give you the opportunity to work some per diem. Uh, it doesn't give you the opportunity to do some other stuff during the summer. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, you're collecting 12 months worth of a paycheck. Whereas, um, you know, and there are 12-month employees, but at Oratory, I'm a 10-month employee, so I don't technically get paid in the summer. I do some things here in the summer. Uh, I work our summer academy. Um, I do some other stuff. I may be teaching a class this summer. So there are other opportunities. But I would say that's really – it's easier to manage your time and manage um, your athletes as – being or as a full-time athletic trainer in a school rather than having split duties, essentially. Right. I guess my question is, you know, I feel like being an athletic trainer, part of your job is to have relationships with these athletes. And, like, you know when a player is not acting right. I'm just thinking, like, concussion-wise and stuff. Right. Whereas, like, they might say they're fine. You know because you've seen them play countless times and you see them practice every day that they might not be okay. So I do you – miss that relationship by not being a full-time athletic trainer? I think it's easier to miss that, not being full-time in the school. I think everything really comes down to communication. Um, if you communicate really well with your school nurse, that, that can sort of alleviate a lot of those issues. If you, if you communicate really well with your athletic director who's in the building all the time, um, but then you're relying on other people to see things that you need to see. Right. Whereas if I have a kid, you know, we'll use a concussion – um, if I have a kid in, with a concussion, um, we have uh, we have an athletic healthcare team at Oratory Prep that uh, works specifically with concussions. And you know, I use team sort of loosely. I, we the way it works is if a kid has a suspected concussion, um, I send out an email to the guidance department, to our associate head of school, um, who acts as our principal. I, I can send it to our head of school if need be. Um, to our dean of students and to my to the athletic director, and then they send the information to the teachers. So it makes communication really easy because we do a lot with um, you know with the doctors recommending return to learn, um, letting the teachers know you know hey um, you know student X uh, suffered a possible concussion tonight at practice. I recommended that he just rest instead of doing any homework um, or study for tests. Please excuse him for tomorrow, and then that information gets passed along by the administration and it works really well um that's yeah that's great to hear because i know if i hear like countless stories of athletes who suffer these concussions and the teachers don't believe them and they don't give them any breaks that that you know the breaks that they should um so that's 
it's interesting. Or like, it seems like you guys have a good form of communication. So are the teachers usually receptive of that? Or yeah, our teachers are great. Um, oratory, you know, and like I've never, I haven't worked at a at a high school in New Jersey other than oratory. But um, a lot of our coaches are teachers in the building. Uh, our dean of students is is a head coach and a teacher in the building. Um, so it, our, our associate head of school is our head golf coach. Um, you know, it, it's really good to have coaches that have a great working relationship with me. And, you know, we're a, we're a faculty, I, I don't even know the exact number, we're probably somewhere between 50 and 60 uh, faculty and staff. Um, they all know me because I'm here all the time. Um, we have 375-ish kids in, from 7 to 12. The, 99% of them know me. Uh, you know, there's always the kids that don't participate in athletics and that I don't necessarily get to see an awful lot. But um, even if those kids, you know, suffer concussions in gym class or something like that, the the teachers, the nurse, our our administration all know that I can be a resource for them. It, you know, I kind of wanted to buy into the family aspect of oratory. Okay. And by doing that, you know, just because you don't play a sport, if you suffer a concussion in gym class or you fall on ice doesn't to me doesn't mean that you don't deserve the same care and if we provide this level of care that's where everybody should be here okay. or higher no one i don't feel anybody should get left behind right be so do you think that the because you guys have good communication do you credit that to just like facetime like you said like just interacting with with the teachers on a, a daily basis or like what's your recommendation for athletic trainers who might be listening to this who might not have that communication you know, with the, the teachers and faculty. Right. I think it's it's all about being proactive and it's about respect. Um, you know, there are some teachers that I don't deal with on a daily basis, but if I send them an email about something, they'll at least respond. Okay. Um, sometimes, you know, we're, we're a small campus. I can just walk down and talk to them in person. I think it's all about how you treat them. You know, they don't know that much about concussions, maybe. Um, maybe they do. So by providing a lot of information and, and having those resources available, I think goes a long way. Um, I think that the fact that they know that I'm here, um, you know, I'm here for certain in-service days, you know, I'm here at the beginning of the school year. Um, they know that I'm here. They know that I'm a, a part of the community and they can reach out to me if they need something. I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, plus I'm really big on respect and we, we preach that to our kids and we preach that, you know, our coaches preach that. Um, but I think a lot of it was an education thing. When I came in, I was the first athletic trainer ever hired by this school that wasn't from a service. They had someone come in for a couple games during the week before I was here. Um, so when I came in, there was no athletic training program. So I had to build it from scratch. Emergency action plan, you know, building those relationships. Um, I'm very lucky that the, administrative, the administ administrators at Oratory are super receptive to um, sports. They're, they're very um, open-minded as far as keeping kids safe. We're an NATA safe sports school. Um, we have been for a couple years. We have to renew. Uh, how do you become that? Like, how do you get that accreditation? Uh, there's an application process. Uh, it's you go. You can go on the NATA website as the athletic trainer, um, and there's a list of qualifications. Um, when we did it a couple years ago, it was um, there was mandatory qualif um, initiatives or different things that you had to do as a program, and there was optional. If you do um, all the um, required and all of the optional, you get, uh, you can be eligible for a first team designation. If you do all of the mandatory and some, or, uh, I believe it's some of the, um, se the secondary options or the, you know, the options. Can you ones. like uh, give some examples of like those optional ones that are above and beyond, you know, the standard of care? 
Um, to be honest, without looking at it, I'm not 100% sure. But I'll I list it in the show notes, but if you could think of some. Yeah, a lot of the stuff is, um, you know, has to do with that AEDs. Like, um, you know, we have Janet's Law in New Jersey, which... Um, Automatic external defibrillator for those who don't know what AED is. Right, exactly. Um, you know, Janet's Law states that there has to be an AED, or one of the things that it states is that there has to be an AED within 90 seconds of any sporting event. Um, when, when Janet's Law was coming um, into fruition... I sat down with the administration and they said, what do we need? And I said, okay, I'll put together something. You know, they were like, so I was like, okay, I talked to the AD. Best case scenario, what would we need? Um, let's say every one of our teams is away and we have a couple field trips. Um, and we want to, we want an AED on all those buses to all those games. So I put together a proposal for 12 AEDs for a school of 375 put the proposals together, made 12 copies for the administration. They had their meeting. They came out. They said, price quote them. We'll buy 12. That to me was incredible because there's a lot of places that, and granted, we're at a, we're at a, you know, a private school. So, you know, maybe funds are a little bit more available, but to be that forward thinking, um, we all, and I'm not a hundred percent sure on Janet's law, but I believe it says that six people in the building have to be CPR certified and AED certified at all times. Um, we certify everybody on staff. And I do that personally. I'm a, an instructor for the Red Cross. Um, the, our administration said that if you if you want to work here, you know the safety of the students, not just the student athletes, but the right, students, um, is of the utmost importance. So we certify everyone at the end of the school year, and then I run another one for any new faculty that come in or staff members um, that come in. And all of our coaches are, of course, CPR, first aid, and AED certified as well. That's great. So. What's like the benefit of having that? What's the accreditation's name again? Uh, for the NATA? Yeah, uh, it's the NATA Safe Sports School Safe Award. Safe Sports School. Okay. Um, it's it's really just a recognition thing. Okay. Um, I didn't know if there was like insurance, you know, premiums involved or something. No, or... not not that I'm aware of, to be honest. Um, oh, there should be. But... Right. It, we, I believe we were the, I think we were the third school in New Jersey to have it done, and I believe we were the first private school. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure, but I think when we wrote the article for the ATSNJ, I believe those were the numbers. But I know that the Rainey School uh, down in Tinton Falls, um, I, I know their athletic trainer very well. Um, she did it right about the same time. I know the Petty School is also um, also an NATA school. And um, I believe the two the two private or public schools before us was Red Bank Regional and Ewing High School. Okay. So it's not, yes, probably not an easy thing to do. Yeah, it's a little bit of an application yeah. process, but yeah, I mean, then you have to have the stuff that's there, you know. Either um, way, you're maximizing safety, so. Right, exactly. And, you know, a lot of it is related to, you know, emergency medicine and the emergency emergency action plan, whether or not it's venue specific, um, you know, different things like that. Uh, I, like I said, I wouldn't know necessarily without looking at it what the requirements right. are, but we were lucky enough to uh, to meet all of those. Yeah, so I'll, I'll list that up in the show notes for any athletic trainers who might be listening to this and want to get that uh, accreditation for themselves. That would be awesome. Uh, okay, so let's let's get into our, our theme of the conversation here. So uh, do you think that there's a difference between injured and hurt? Yes. I know a lot of coaches, <laughs> like when I was growing up, they're like, you're not hurt, you're, you're, you're not injured, you're hurt, right? You're just hurting. So what what's – What's your definition of, of that? Yeah, we I actually have that same exact conversation before every sports season, especially with with our kids that are coming from middle school sports, which are more or less recreational activities, to the six-day-a-week high school sports. Uh, in the fall, especially with, with preseason, uh, we have soccer and cross-country here, which 
is an awesome fall for me. Um, but with our soccer and cross country kids, a lot of kids don't come in with mileage or, you know, haven't really done much cardio or anything like that. So I always have that conversation with them. You know, there's a big difference between being sore and being injured. So soreness occurs, obviously, you know, you're going to be running around, you're going to be kicking a soccer ball, your, ha- your hamstrings, your quads, your lower body's probably going to be very sore. Um, you know, soreness can be, can be alleviated by, you know, drinking a lot of water and doing a lot of stretching and making sure that you're stretching multiple times per day and, you know, trying to get a really good warm up to try to flush some of that lactic acid out. Um, I have that conversation with our younger guys. Our, our older guys hear it from me every year, so they, they just kind of chuckle when I have to go over it. But um, there, is a, there is a big difference. With lacrosse, you know, lacrosse is our most physical sport outside of soccer and basketball well, and ice hockey. Um, so I always go over with, you know, you guys are going to get hit with the ball. You guys are going to get, you know, roughed up a little bit. You know, and I always tell them, if you are hurt, I will do everything in my power to make you better. If we need to get you into a doctor, we get you into a doctor. If we can handle it in-house, we handle it in-house. We do whatever we can. But don't be offended if you come in and see me and I say, you know, grab a bag of ice. I think you're going to be okay. Um, why don't you try to practice a little bit more? You know, sometimes, the, the, especially the younger kids, don't take very well to that. They, they essentially assume that you're calling them a baby. Right. And that's really not the case. You know, they just have to understand that, we have, you know, I have professional judgment. I've been practicing in a, as an athletic trainer for almost seven years now, licensed and, and certified. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff. And, and I, you know, the second day, third day of preseason, everybody's sore. The, the difference is the upperclassmen know to push through it a little bit, and the underclassmen sort of need that reminder that they're going to be okay. And a lot of times it's just a little bit of, of hand-holding and telling them that they're going to be okay and maybe showing them a couple stretches, giving them a little bit of individualized attention, and then we're, we're good to go. And, you know, you always have the kids that um, that are hurt and won't tell you. And then, you know, I, I try to preach that. Like, if you sprain your ankle during practice and it's okay for you to practice through, just stop in and see me after practice. Let me know. There's things we can do at home that night. You can come in and do some treatment the next day. We have a game-ready system. We have STEM. Um, you know, we can do some things that will help you heal a little bit faster. We can do some rehab. Um, you know, I'm lucky that we have, you know, our new facility and we have a lot of, of things that we can do here now. And, and, you know, I try to preach that to the kids, but there, there is definitely a difference and they don't all get it. So for the kids that will get injured and then don't tell you, how do you try to get through to those kids to, how do you build that trust? Um, I think it, it's, it's all about showing them that you care. And when they do come to you, giving them your attention and going through a proper evaluation and trying to talk to them about, you know, what it is they need, what, what we need to do going forward, what our plan is. I'm su- I'm really, really, really big on rehab goals. Uh, rehab is baby steps in a, in a lot of cases, and especially for high school kids that, you know, want to be going 100 miles an hour all the time. Here now, to, yeah. Yeah, to try to rein them back a little bit can be a little bit difficult, but I'm very goal-oriented in rehab. So, when they see those measurable goals, like, okay, you know, I'd, we're going to start out on the blue TheraBand today. Um, in two or three days, I'm really hoping we're going to be up to the black TheraBand. Um, and when they see that goal and they meet that goal, then that gets them a little bit more rejuvenated excited, and yeah. they're excited to be doing their rehab. They're more likely to come in every day and do it when they see those results. You know, so that I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think that just having conversations with them and knowing your kids. I have kids now. This is the first class that I started with me as freshmen, and they're now seniors uh, in my fourth year here. 
So I know these kids really, really well now. Um, it wasn't the case coming in. I, I had left a, a job that I was in for two years and knew my athletes really well. You know, it's, it's all about just getting to know the kids. You, you'll be able to tell, at least in my opinion, the kids that are hurting and the kids that aren't. And as you go through your professional career, you'll know the kids that can grit it out a little bit and, and do the things they need to do and, and the kids that need maybe a little bit more attention. Right. So that kind of brings us into our next part of our conversation is like, where do you draw the line of like helping an athlete play injured versus having them sit out and not hurt themselves further? Right. Um, for me, I think it, it sort of uh, boils down to a couple different things. And I put concussions in their own separate um, separate little entity. And I, you know, we'll talk about that. Um, but as for musculoskeletal injuries, like we'll use an ankle sprain as an example. Um, the, what I like to do is I always tell the kids, I'm not the kind of athletic trainer that wants to tell you that you're going to sit down and not do anything. If you can compete and you're not going to get any, you're not going to do any more damage and you want to compete. I'm 100% about doing everything that I can to get you back on the court or back on the field. Um, with that being said, I make it a staple to always do a functional test. So if we have a kid that sprains his ankle, uh, we look at it, we determine it's not too bad. There's not a tremendous amount, you know, swelling is a big determining factor. If it swells up instantly, you know, obviously we're going to ice down and, and elevate and, and sort of give you the time off. But, you know, if you sprain your ankle, you just roll it quick. Um, you know, you have a little bit of pain. There's no, there's no indications of a fracture um, through your evaluation. Um, if, if they want to, you know, tape it up and see if they can go. That's what we're going to do. We'll put a bunch of tape on there, um, have them put their shoe and sock back on, and then we'll do some functional testing. So we'll have them hop up and down. We'll do some straight line sprints. We'll do some zigzag drills um, like they're, you know, juking around an athlete. And I always try to do that at 50, 75, and 100% of movement. Um, I don't like to jump right into 100% because if it hurts at 50%, it's definitely going to hurt. Right, 100%. exactly. Yeah. But if we can work our way up, and that helps them a little bit, they're like, oh, okay, this isn't that bad. Oh, okay, I'm going a little bit faster. It's still not that bad. Um, you know, for me, it, it's tough to sort of, you know, rein kids. We have, we have a kid that's coming back now. Um, he's a senior. He's he's a little banged up, rolled his ankle, pretty good sprain, a lot of discoloration. He, he's been in for two treatments a day for the past, you know, 10 days. Finally coming back, it, it was tough once he was at that point where he felt he could start to go again to put him on a limited practice um, where he wasn't doing any sprinting and he wasn't doing any live gameplay. He was running through the drills. He was doing stationary shooting. You know, I'm, I'm really big on if you can do something in practice, I think that's better than nothing. Right. So, you know, for our basketball guys, we shoot a lot of free throws at practice. So free throws don't require that much movement. We'll, we'll tape you up. You can go out there. You can shoot your or free study throws. Study a ton of game film. There's yeah, like right. There's always something you can be doing. Right. And like I said, concussions are a different beast. Um, so that's where I sort of draw the line. You know, if you're not going to get any worse, and and you know maybe it's going to hurt a little bit. You know, everybody thinks that <laughs> it seems to be like, oh, I put some tape on it. Oh, it still hurts. Yeah, it's going to still hurt, buddy. You know, that's that's kind of what happens. But does it hurt too much where you can't play? And that's really what it comes down to. And we've had a couple kids this year that have, you know, really fought through some stuff and, you know, did a really good job of that. And that kid came back and he scored 17 points for us the other night, which was awesome. And he's a senior and he's a really great, really goofy kid. It's fun, um, fun to see them succeed after. Right, yeah. and that, that's what it's all about. You know, you'll, you'll ask a bunch of athletic trainers what's the greatest thing about your job, at least for me. And I think a lot of my colleagues would be when you see those kids come back and you don't even need to thank you. A thank you is always great, but – 
you know, seeing them compete and seeing them compete at that high level and get back to where they were before they were injured to me is why I come to work every day. Right. Um, I think that's great. With concussions, it's a completely different beast. Uh, you know, you're shut down. You go to the doctor. Um, we're lucky to have some really great concussion doctors in, in the Summit area. Um, you know, we have some concussion clinics. We have a physician that works um, really, really closely with me um, on certain concussion things. He's really great on, you know, return to learn, decreasing their um, decreasing their academic workload. Uh, we do, you know, we impact test all of our athletes here. It doesn't matter if you're on the bowling team, the swimming team, the fencing team, or you play ice hockey, everybody's impact tested. Um, and you're not allowed to compete until you have a valid and current impact test. Um, typically we'll do a post-injury test. I will, you know, send that back to the doctor and then we, we have our concussion protocol that we go through. Um, it's, it's typically six days, assuming that no symptoms arise and, you know, it's a step progression. Um, you know, day one is a day without symptoms all the way back up to day six, which is a full return to play. And after the non-contact phase, I always get final clearance from the doctor. You know, this here are my notes. I, I'm, you know, I'll send you over my treatment notes and my progress notes, and here's how they did in practice, and this is what they did, or this is how they did with me, and this is what they did. And, you know, are you okay with clearing them for contact? They get cleared for contact. Everything's good to go. Um, but we play that exactly the way it is. It's the same for everybody. And I tell my parents that all the time, ankle sprains are different. Knee sprains are different. Um, pulled muscles are different concussions. We treat everyone. Everyone goes to the protocol. There's, there's no exceptions to that because I mean, as you know, you know, that's not something we're going to mess around with. That's, you know, we're going to make sure that you're healed and you get everything that you need to do and you can take your time doing Although it. Although it's easy to hide. It, it is very it, easy it is to hide. It's the most dangerous to hide. So, yeah. exactly. So that's, you you know, that's sort of the way I run it here. Um, you know, my way doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all, but I, it works really well for us. So I think, you know, when you're coming up with a definition of what's hurt and what's injured and when to play someone versus when to – you know, sit them out for, for an injury. I think it all comes down to the culture of toughness, and that's something that I talk about on the podcast constantly. And I think that the severity of my injury was due to the culture of toughness in sports. Like ever since I was seven years old, I was being told to suck it up and keep playing, and, you know, it's glorified in the media. I'll, I'll stop going on because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> but anyway – what is the culture of toughness like at oratory? Because it's an all-boys school. I would only imagine that that culture of toughness and testosterone would make it, you know, that much more um, intense. So, how do you kind of fight that culture of toughness in here? Like, maybe it's through education or what, whatever it might be. Right. Um, I can't say for certain that it's any different here than it would be at a public school. Um, you know, the way I kind of look at it is. Actually, it's funny. I was talking to one of my one of my good friends who I was in school with at East Stroudsburg, um, who actually does some per diem work for us. Uh, he's the athletic trainer at David Burley High School in Kenilworth. He was he said uh, he was talking to somebody and they said, "Do you think kids are softer now because of your profession?" And I took a second to think about that because. You know, I was lucky I had an athletic trainer in high school, but a lot of people didn't. Right. And you were you were literally just sucking it up because you had no one to go to. So it made me think, like, now that we are so, you know, we're more readily available, and New Jersey is way ahead of the curve uh, uh, as opposed to the national average of high schools or high school athletes that have access to an athletic trainer. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Do, did our profession play a little bit of a role in that? 
you know, I, I can't say no. Um, you know, I can't say yes either. I, th- I could see it both ways. I think it's very interesting. Um, as for oratory, you know, I have a great group of coaches. Uh, we're all really good friends, which makes my life so much easier. We hang out outside of work. There isn't that one coach here that's that, you know, a kid is hurt and they're pushing them to go back in. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from they all trust my judgment. They know that I'm going to be there. They know that I answer emails on Christmas morning from kids, um, you know, asking what they can do at home, which I think is incredible. And I will always answer that email. Yeah. If you want to get better, I will do on everything. Christmas Day, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which actually happened this year. We had a kid he emailed me on Christmas morning. My son was. And parents, please don't judge me. Uh, my son was opening <laughs> gifts, and I got an email, and I answered it real quick, and then went back to uh, enjoying the time with my family. But um, you know, I like to be there for them, and I think that my having a coaching staff that uh, will defer to me in those situations, I think, is really great. And that do, that's not to say that they don't get frustrated. Uh, they absolutely do. They get just as frustrated as I do when a lot of kids are coming in and complaining. Um, but that constant up, I constantly update them on okay, well, so-and-so is going to do a, a full practice today. They're, they're not really, you know, they can, they can kind of, they'll, once they get into it, they'll see that they're okay. Um, you know, and we have kids that just, you know, like, like every school, you have kids that, you know, when I was at the, the public school in Pennsylvania, you get those kids that are playing football, and they love playing football, and they're hard-nosed, and they get hit over and over and over again, and they get back up. And then you have the kids that, yeah, it's 93 degrees outside today, and I'm in full pads, and my dad played football here, and my brother played football here, and I really just don't want to play football, so my knee hurts. Right. You know, it, it, that's you know that's the whole thing you got to go through. But um, I think that the culture here is probably you know it's it's different. We don't have football. We don't have wrestling. Uh, our ice hockey program I will consider in its infancy because my first year here we were a JV program. Uh, we started my second year as a full time varsity program. This is our um. I guess technically our third year as a full-time varsity program. Um, so we're building that. You know, that, that culture of toughness I don't think really exists here that much um, because I don't think we have, you know, we don't have those athletes. Right. We have, don't get me wrong, we have some great athletes. So we have a soccer kid that, um, I, in my opinion, could play Division One soccer. He's a great athlete um, and he's a great kid. But, you know, I don't think we have those those hard-nosed, just – you right. know, tough as nails kids. And I think those are the kind of kids that you really need to look out for because I was one of those kids like right. that would run through a brick wall if you told me to. So when you have those kind of kids, like you have to save them from themselves because they're just going to put themselves in harm's way and they don't think twice about, you know, throwing their body around, right? Right. Um, so that's, that's interesting. So what's the reason for not having football at oratory? Uh, truth be told, uh, I don't know. That decision was made in the 70s when I think our school dynamic was a little bit wow, different. Okay. Um, I actually, uh, when you sent me over the notes uh, for, for the for this uh, podcast, I asked my athletic director, I was like, hey, uh, just because I know I'm going to get asked this question, do you know why? And he's like, no. He's like, I don't think our, our student body could really support football at that time. Small school. Yeah, yeah I, th- I don't even know if oratory ever had football. Um, you know, we've been around for a long time. Um, it's but, America. We play football. Yeah, here. exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, plus, we have Summit High School, which is a perennial, you know, just powerhouse and doing a lot of really good things um, that, you know, is right up the road. But um, I, I truthfully don't know why. I don't think there's any plans to add it anytime soon. I do think that if you add a football program, you get football kids. Right. Um, but 
I, I think at this point, the way our school dynamic is, I don't, I don't necessarily see football as a fit. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I love football. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, which I know is super weird for a guy that lives in New Jersey and grew up in Pennsylvania. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, my dad was a Vikings fan from when he was a kid and they were really good and I just inherited all his teams. So that's why I'm a Packers fan. So, oh, oh man, I wish I would have known that. <laughs> I actually, I should have figured that because of the Jordy Nelson episodes, but that's true. You know, did you listen to those? Of course. What'd you think of them? What, uh, what's your take on the hit? I thought it was very interesting. Um, you know, I didn't see the hit live, uh, but I did go back and watch it uh, once I saw your po- once I well, once I saw your pod once I listened to your podcast. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I did go back and look at it, and I think you're absolutely right. By definition, that hit was illegal. Um, I think that it's it's tough because the NFL is doing they're they're saying and trying to do a lot, and their concussion numbers were down this year, but they still have a major uphill battle to fight. Um, but I think that it's tough when you're in that moment. Um, I noticed that, um, one person on Facebook wrote that, you know, if he, if the ball was thrown better, right. he probably would have been more arms. protected. Yeah, exactly. And I absolutely agree with that. And that maybe changes. I mean, he's still leading with his helmet a little exactly. bit, so it doesn't really By matter. By definition, where, it's still, right. yeah. Exactly. You're saying, and though. if you're looking at it black and white, is it illegal based on the rule book? You're right. absolutely correct. Um, you know. Where do you draw the line? Really right, and, and that's, to, that's yeah. really why the NFL will do a lot of really good things. The, the NFL concussion spotters is a great thing. The independent neurologist is a great thing. Um, but it ultimately comes down to, on the field, how was that play called? And, you know, the league can go back and look at it and say, oh, yeah, it was a dirty hit. You know, we're going to fine you 15 grand so we can give it off to a charity, um, which is which is great in its own right, but... At what point does that definitively become a penalty on the field? And I think that there's an awful lot of back and forth on that, and it's really it's always going to be a judgment call. It's just like I hate uh, replay in Major League Baseball. I think it's the worst thing in the world. I think you're taking the human error out of a beautiful, beautiful game. Right. Uh, baseball is by far my favorite sport. Yeah. If, if you start it, reviewing penalties in football, you're going to be right, like exactly. four-hour, five-hour games. Right. And if there's a if there's a if there's a bang bang play at the plate, and the umpire calls it one way, I hate the fact that you can go back and look at it. And regardless of whether or not it goes against my team, I think that's part of baseball. You know. If if you can't hit a curveball, you shouldn't be able to ask the pitcher to just throw your changeups all the time. That's true. So yeah, one well, my last comment on this before we move on because I've already said my word plenty of times on this is I just feel like by not calling those penalties that to me are just unnecessary. Uh, kids watch these games, they play mm-hmm. football, and they go out and they do the same exact things, and they're not only putting their opponents at risk, but they're putting themselves at risk by like dropping their head and like I just saw one of my Facebook friends posted this, you know, highlight video, quote unquote, of this high school kid just absolutely depleting like one of his opponents by shoving his like the crown of his head underneath his chin, kick it's you know, depleted, his helmet flies off, he he's obviously like destroyed on the ground. Right. And then, you know, the the guy who this is a fullback who who initiated the hit and the running back scored a touchdown, but I'm like, all right, break this play down. If this kid puts his head to the side and like secures the gap in this in the hole, the running back still scored a touchdown. Right. He, this kid doesn't leave with his head and expose himself to a concussion or a spinal cord injury, and the kid who's defending him, you know, doesn't get destroyed and like get his helmet knocked off and probably get a concussion. Right. You're absolutely right. There was a big 
there was a big emphasis, you know, back when quote men were men and quote in the NFL, you know, in the foot, National Football League, where it was all about just blasting people. Right. And it, you're right; it's absolutely unnecessary. You know, you make a tackle; it doesn't matter how hard or how soft you take them to the ground. It's the matter of fact that their elbow or knee hits the ground or other any other body part. Right. It's still like a beautiful game, and like you can still show like great athleticism without being a freaking right. caveman and right. just like. You know, you're head, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. And then you get the guys like you know James Harrison who are 38 years old and you know deadlifting and squatting more weight than I'm ever going to attempt ever yeah, in my he's, life. He's ridiculous. Right. And it's like you see these guys and he he you know he hits people so hard and he's still able to maintain that. But you're right. It's the culture. It's you know you're That's what's you're glorified. taught to yeah. you know you're, you're, the crowd's going to erupt if you blow this guy up and the ball comes flying out of his hands. Right. And I'm guilty of that. You know, I, when you Me go to too, a football yeah. game, it, it's exciting. But at the same time, you know, once you're, you know, you deal with a traumatic injury or you're on, you know, the athletic trainer side of things, you start to look at things a little bit differently. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. It's a culture thing. And, you know, I'm, I work a, a good amount of youth football as an athletic trainer. And, and you can see it on the sidelines. But from what I've seen, my first experience with, with youth football was not a great one. Um, but after that, you know, you really kind of you're on the sidelines a lot. You can see there's a lot. There was good coaches that were trying to teach the kids the right way to do things. It's not right. like Friday Night Tykes, which was out a couple years ago. Yeah, I that remember that. Everybody went ballistic about you know the football and the youth football in San Antonio and the guy telling his center or the nose tackle before the center even snaps the ball, you hit him as hard as you can to send a message on the first play of the game. Yeah, like these kids are nine years old. What message are you Sending trying messages, to send? Yeah. Like the kid's nine. Yeah. You're going to knock him over. He's going to cry. And then, like, I don't understand what the point of that is. That's, like, if you have the toughest nine-year-old around, congratulations. That right. doesn't get you anything. How about raise a really decent kid who's also a good athlete? Right. And then maybe after their athletic career is over, maybe they run a Fortune 500 company or maybe they become a lawyer and do something <laughs> and that's really great with society. Do something good with their brain. Right, exactly. <laughs> with the brain cells exactly. that they still have left. Exactly. Um. All right, I'm going to stop talking about this because I could go on forever. <laughs> but anyway, so my next question is, how do you think, because I, I didn't grow up in this era, but how do you think social media has impacted, you know, your job as an athletic trainer in terms of kids playing injured or maybe sitting out longer? I don't know. Well, um, sitting out longer is very interesting. I call it the WebMD factor. Okay. Um, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this and my wife is going to listen to this, but my wife is so guilty of that. Um, I always joke around like you, you go on WebMD and you say that your symptom is a headache and the first thing that comes up is an inoperable brain tumor, whereas right. you know it's probably something a little bit less than that. But um, I think that that maybe plays a role. Um, I've had kids come up to me and say, you know, last night, you know, my foot started hurting here, so I Googled it. And, you know, I always, my, always resp my response is, well, how many medical degrees does Google have? <laughs> And and to be honest, probably more than me if you think about it. But uh, maybe I should stop using that so much. But you know, I, I always tell them like, don't believe everything you read on the internet. And that is to be said with, and I definitely I know that that we're not going to go political on this, but that you know that ties right into it. There's a lot of you know political stuff on social media at this point. Um, but even as far as athletics, I think you know, as the PR chair for the uh, the ATSNJ or the Athletic Trainer Society of New Jersey. Um, Part of my job is to educate the public about athletic trainers. There are articles written all the time, and, and you know where we always come up short is, you know, the use trainer. 
people say trainer. You know, it's it, that's not the correct nomenclature. It's athletic trainer. I get that it's a it's a cultural thing, um, which we're you know trying to correct. But it's tough to see a really great article about you know an athletic trainer that uses an AED and saves a kid's life. And then the title is trainer uses AED to save child's life. Right, because people think personal trainer. Right, or you know, or like right, exactly, and that's where they try to differentiate. Um, not that personal trainers don't have their place. I mean, they do a lot of stuff that I'm, you know, not as, you know, not as well versed in. But, um, you know, it, it's tough with that. I think I think it's all about, you know, I always preach to the preach the kids, and and by kids I mean like students. Uh, you know, I'm a, I have Seton Hall uh, graduate students that come here. Um, that do their there's um, athletic trainer student athletic trainer stuff, um, you know their rotations and clinical experiences, um, and I was lucky enough to uh, East Stroudsburg reached out to me this year and in October I went back and spoke to their senior athletic training class about um, about social media and marketing yourself and being very careful and the one thing I always preach is you have to read everything you post. If you see a headline that's really cool. And you post it, and the article is absolute garbage. It's it reflects on you because everyone assumes that you're you're reading what you're posting. Right. Um, I was guilty of that, you know, before I started the PR stuff, where I would just post articles and then I'd you know read them and be like, ooh, maybe that's not the greatest <laughs> thing in the world to be posting. But you know, as the PR chair, you know, we have to educate the public, and by doing that, you know, there's a lot of resources that we can use, and we have to, you know, I read all the articles when we post them, and. A lot of them I write and have people, you know, proofread um, just to see if it translates to the audience that you're looking at. And I think with athletes, you know, you see a lot of um, a lot of people fighting through injuries and stuff. And I think that's all well and good. I think where social media really negatively impacts athletics is that WebMD side, um, okay. you know, that where, you know, all the information. We're a society where, you know, if you wanted to know what movie John Candy was in in 1984, you could very quickly get that answer. If you wanted to know, okay, well, you know, my... So like hypochondriacs. Right. Yeah. My lateral malleolus is a little bit sore, which, you know, is the bump <laughs> on the outside of your ankle. Um, you know, you can Google that real quick, and you're going to get a whole list of differential diagnoses right. or diagnoses or well, however it's Well, what about right? in terms of, like, fear of missing out? So, like, you have an injured kid... Or an injured athlete, and you know his teammates are Snapchatting, you know the practice that he's missing, or they just won a championship game and they're all out at the party, but he's at home icing his knee or whatever. Right. I'm sure that absolutely plays a part uh, in what they're dealing with. You know, when we were kids, you know, Facebook didn't come out until I was, uh, I was, I think a freshman, my second semester freshman year of college. Um, you know, so we didn't have that aspect of it in high school and the, like I said I have a no phone policy in the athletic training room for that reason kids will snapchat kids doing treatments which is obviously a big no no exactly yeah um but I, I definitely think that's part of it you know I have I'm lucky enough to work in a place and you know I I, I know that this sounds like a you know sort of an infomercial for oratory <laughs> but um you know we, we have a great group of kids here and they're very inclusive which is very good but I'm sure that absolutely plays a part of it you know I can't imagine, I've never been in that situation where, you know, you're playing in a championship game and, you know, it, it's tough. You know, you see all the celebrations, you know, maybe you're maybe you're recovering from surgery and you can't, so you don't see who won until you look at the oratory prep Instagram page and you see a picture. 
I'm sure that's probably pretty difficult. Are you getting text messages, text updates from your friends? Right. You know, that, that's got to be You get the blow-by-blow blow of everyone's highlight reel. Right, yeah. exactly. Oh, as a competitor, that's got to be that's got to be really hard. I yeah. get that. Um, you know, so I, I think that's probably, you know, I mean, Snapchat is so instant now. It's, you know, kids are constantly just, I guess, I don't know. I always tell them it's chat snapping. Uh, just so they think I'm really, you know, I'm the oldest 31-year-old on the face of the earth. But um, I, I think that absolutely plays a role in it. How do you deal with, um, not deal with, but how do you work with the athletes who are struggling mentally and emotionally throughout their recoveries? Like, what do you, how do you work with those athletes? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, like I said, I try to make myself as readily available as possible. Um, these kids know that, you know, if they email me, I'm, I'm usually pretty quick on getting back to them. Um you know, I have a I have a two year old at home, and I have um, I have another one on the way in the next couple months or next. I keep saying that next couple weeks it sneaks up on you. So denial. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so these kids know that I I do my best to be able to answer their questions and and be there to talk to them if they need to. Um, they know that I have an open door policy. Kids, uh, you know, come up to this building for our cafeterias in here. Um, and they'll come in and say, hey, you have a second, can I talk to you about something? And they talk to me about stuff that, you know, they wouldn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be with an injury. You know, being an athletic trainer, you have a relationship with the kids that's a little bit different than their teacher and the, administra- the administration. And that line has to be very defined, in my opinion, for an athletic trainer. You can be a friend, but you're not their friend. Um, but in the same case, if they're struggling with something, they they should feel free to come and talk to me. Uh as far as kids that are struggling with rehab, I think that's why it's very, very important to be very goal-oriented. I think giving them little milestones to see improvement goes a long way. And, I, you know, I, <laughs> kids like to, you know, they see the swelling and the discoloration in an ankle sprain. We all know it starts out, you know, it's dark, dark purple, then it's a little bit lighter purple. I always explain to them, the worse it looks, the better it really is. That's your body absorbing the swelling. That's the healing process. So pay attention to that. And that gives, oh, you know what? It's more green today than it was yesterday. Right, exactly. It's those little things that that you can look forward to, um, you know, especially with rehab. You know, I have my main goals of, you know, we want to increase range of motion and decrease pain and, you know, increase strength and things like that. But then, you know, we we can really tailor it to, to different kids, like if we have a kid that, you know, you know, tweaks his knee or you know has an MCL sprain and is a soccer player, which can be a little bit of a lengthy injury for kids who play soccer to come back from because you're constantly, you know, hitting the ball or yeah, passing the ball with the inside of your, of your foot. foot, so that puts an awful lot of stress on the MCL. Um, you know, to have them, and that's why I also think it's very important to have them at practice. We have a policy here that if you are hurt. You can come in and do treatment, but after treatment, you don't go home. You go out to practice. You're still part of the team. You're still going to learn the formations. You're still going to learn what you can do differently in different situations. And that's why I said I like to get the kids in, even if they can do something. Do anything at all. If you can do something, it may, helps them feel like part of the team. It helps them feel they're getting back. If they're jogging around a little bit, oh, it feels a little bit better than yesterday. And that's that's really what they need to keep right. moving forward. I interviewed my buddy Mike Burton. He plays for the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about some injuries that he had, and that's one thing that stuck with me from his uh, interview was that there, there's literally always something that you could do to get better, no matter what it is, like watching film, right. doing a couple extra reps with the TheraBand, whatever it might be. Right. Like, there's always something you could do, shooting without jumping, like you said, with right. basketball. And I tell my kids, you know, be really good at the things that take no talent. Right. It doesn't take talent to get up 
and do your rehab when you're watching TV at home and you know you need to do another set. It doesn't take extra talent to run an extra, you know, ladder drill. Right. It doesn't take extra talent to get in and get treatment um, before or after practice. If you want to get better, you can get better. Right. In, in most cases. I mean, obviously, we're, we're talking about, you know, not catastrophic things, but, you know, I, I try to preach that to them, and that's one of the new signs that will be going up in our athletic training room when it gets finished. Um, you know, be excellent. Be great at the things that take no talent. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a book that I recently read. Um, it's called The Slight Edge. Okay. And basically all it's about is, like, it, it's really easy to do these, like, small – really easy to do these, like, small, minute things that will compound over time, make like, lead you to greatness. But it's also really easy not to do them. Right. And, like, you're either – you know, compounding towards greatness or you're compounding towards failure. There, there's like, there's no middle ground right, there. Right, so exactly. I, I love that. Okay, so being a Catholic school, how does faith play a role in, you know, your job and dealing with injuries and, and stuff like that? Yeah, um, I think that faith is obviously a big part of our community. Um, you know, being part of the Archdiocese of Newark, um, you know, we have a lot of, um, we do a lot of charitable work. We we have a lot of um, we have we have masses at, at school all the time. Um, I think that having faith, it you know, it, it's sort of tough. For, you know, it's it's hard for me to gauge how everybody kind of views it. But you know, if the kids have faith and they and they have someone a higher power to rely on, regardless, you know, obviously a lot of our kids are are Catholic. Um, you know, if you can look to that to try to find some strength and try to find a little bit of guidance through the rehab process or through an injury process, you know, whatever is going to help. You know, I, I have no problems with that. And it hasn't come up as much um, that I've dealt with. Kids haven't really talked to me about it much. But, you know, that's maybe something that they keep a little bit more internal, um, which I think is a good thing. Anything that you can do to sort of focus yourself on what you need to do and, you know, the results that you need to get and the person you want to be and how you want to lead your life. I think, you know, if that if that comes from your faith, I think that's a great thing. Right. Interesting. Okay. So um, can you kind of talk about what you do outside of the, the training room here at Oratory Prep? I know you said you own your own business. So can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm uh, Recently, I became co-owner of uh, Premier Sports Medicine of New Jersey. Uh, it's myself and two business partners. Um, you know, we... Uh, it's. I'm very, very excited about it. It's. It's a passion project for me. Um, for a couple of reasons, um, we do a lot of, a lot of like youth sports coverage. Um, we did. We had a bunch of different football leagues this year. Um, we actually did a lot of high school cross country. Uh, but we really provide athletic trainers for youth sports camps, clinics, and showcases. Uh, we we can do some substitute coverage at you know schools or colleges or really whatever you need. Uh, we also do. Um, I'm an American Red Cross certified instructor um, for a couple different courses, so we offer that. We offer baseline concussion testing, and we're a uh, we're a sub distributor for Phillips brand um, AEDs. Okay. Um, so you know we have a couple. We're a multifaceted organization. Um, Premier Sports Medicine itself is not an idea unique to New Jersey. Uh, one of my business partners started the company uh, in Florida in 2006. So we have uh, Florida, Georgia. Uh, Michigan and New Jersey um, at this point, but we do cover things outside of those states. But um, th- this is sort of, uh, you know, it's a lot of work, which is which is great. Um, but we, we really pride ourselves on providing athletic training coverage 
a step above everybody else, uh, which is really what it comes down to. We, we take a personal approach into that with some of the things that we offer. Um, and it's been very successful so far. We're, we're coming up on our, um, actually, I don't know. I think we started last year at some point, you know, the days blurred together, but, right. um, you know, we're really starting to roll. We had a very successful fall. We're really, you know, we're rolling into the rest of the year. So that, yeah, that's, that's great. I'm super passionate about having athletic trainers cover youth sports. Cause I know, and especially in terms of concussions, a lot of times the youth athletes are the ones who are most at risk, at least for like stuff like second impact syndrome right. and stuff like that. So, um, how have you seen athletic trainers on like the forefront of youth athletics? Is it becoming more receptive and more common to have um, youth or athletic trainers at youth events? Um, I, I, I would say yes and no. Um, it's a little bit tough to break into depending upon what exactly, you know, what exactly the sport is. Obviously football is a little bit more, you know, known of the injury risk. Um, so we get into a group and then that usually compounds into another or two more. Um, I like to say that's because of the work that we do and, and the service that we provide and the quality that you get. Um, we get so many compliments from parents. Oh, my son was really on the fence this year about whether or not we were going to sign him up for football. Um, but once we saw that, that you know this group was hiring an athletic training staff and was going to have medical coverage at all the games, we decided to let him play. I mean, that's huge. I mean, to right. me, especially with football, like – how, how can you, you know, let these kids out there play with no, like, medical supervision whatsoever? Right, exactly. And, you know, yeah. it, we're at games. Um, and you're, you expect the coaches to figure it out when something bad happens. Right, it's exactly. It's not fair to them either. Right, exactly. And that's, yeah. what we sort, that's what we preach. You know, it's not the coach's responsibility. It puts you at a big liability risk if you have coaches making those return-to-play decisions. Right. Uh, whereas athletic trainers are – that's what we do. That's that's our job. So you work with the athletes to return-to-play, you know, even though they're not at a school, right? So Correct. How, how does that work? Uh, well, it's a lot of communication. Um you know, we, we make... Seems to be the name of the game. Yeah, right? Yeah. I know. I'm super... <laughs> I'm very big on communication. Um, you know, we can put together a plan if we have a kid that's injured where we communicate with their parents on, you know, almost on a daily basis, depending upon what the issue is. Uh, we will handle doctor's notes, uh, you know, for for the organizations. Um, you know, we work with one organization that um, they're... Um, the head of their medical side who is not a physician or, you know, and he's just essentially a guy that's certified in first aid um, who reached out to us. Um, he's really great with sending us notes and letting us know what's going on. And we can, we can adjust practice plans and, you know, we do taping and things like that before games, but we're not at practices. It's not a perfect situation, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. And that, that relationship turned into another relationship, which, has the potential to turn into 13 or 15 relationships. But where we saw a lot, and we got tremendous amounts of praise, and I'm not trying to sound cocky or, you know, anything like that, but we got a lot of praise from the parents and from the coaches saying, we're so glad that you guys are here. We feel a lot better about all these right. situations. And you're not being cocky at all. I mean, think about it. They're going from no coverage and any, at anything, and probably every mom on the sidelines, like, but you know, biting their nails that you know are praying that their right. son's not going to get injured, and now they have kind of the safety security blanket of knowing that if something does happen, you know, unfortunately, 
they're going to be in the right hands, right? Exactly, and that and that plays a big role. We've had, you know, even I had a cheerleader get injured. We don't just because we're contracted for the football side. Um, that, cheerleading has like the highest rate of like right. exactly yeah. the the rate of injury in cheerleading is through the roof. Why a cheerleader get especially hurt. like seriously injured? Right, exactly. Yeah. Spent some time with her, explained to her parents what was going on, followed up with them the next day, and that's where we we have a really personal touch into what we do. We come out. We have we have a pop up tent. Um, we have, we have all kinds of different, um, treatment tables that we bring out. Uh, we have our med kits, we have AEDs, you know, we come out with the full package. So you're getting, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we're getting the same coverage or you're getting the same coverage that a high school would get as, as a young kid who's playing sports. And, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, they fell over and they're really young and it's their first experience and you just talk to them a little bit and there's other times where we're really needed and it's good to be there. I think that's very, very important. Right, just in terms of like all you guys do, like number one, you have an AED. You you know how to handle concussions. You know how to spine board someone if, you know, they have a neck injury right. or a possible neck injury. Heat stroke, you know, knowing when to call practice, you know, when it's too hot or right. all that stuff. Like the, you know, the resource or I forget what I don't know what kind of word I'm looking for here but the value that you guys bring is like tremendous and I can't preach enough how important having an athletic trainer whether it's freaking soccer or football or any sport like you guys are very important well we appreciate that yeah we get a lot of we covered a lot of high school cross country a lot of invitationals this year I worked one of them. It was the busiest I have ever been as an athletic trainer. What kind of injuries do they have? Uh, it's, it, I mean, it's a lot of exhaustion and things like that. Um, you know, we had, we did have an ER transport uh, more as a precaution. Like heat stroke or? Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't super hot. It was more she was coming back from being sick and, um, you know, was that's a risk factor right, for heat stroke. Exactly, yeah. which was very. She was she was a little bit unresponsive and things like that. Um, you know, but luckily she's. She's perfectly fine. You know, we were able to get her the care she needed. But, you know, we had uh, we had three athletic trainers at most of those events, two or three athletic trainers, and we stationed somebody in the middle of the course. Um, because I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to run a mile and a half to treat somebody. By the time I get there, I'm gonna need treatment. <laughs> so I mean, you know, we 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 had a couple different things, start and finish line, and um, that was where a, a lot of the high school coaches were like, "This is incredible. We're so glad that this is going on because." Normally they don't have anybody there, right? And yeah, it's cross country. Cross country, yeah, not hitting tough, anyone, yeah. right? But it, I mean, it's. I would much rather put pads on and go hit somebody and play football, you know, in my in my condition, than go out and try to run. Yeah, I wasn't trying 5K. to take anything away from cross country. No, I, I get that absolutely. Like, that that goes into the culture again, right? You know, you're like, you're absolutely right. So it's yeah. neat to have those coaches and those parents, you know, talk about how great it was. And actually, my my wife and I moved. Um, it'll be a year in March, uh, to our new house, and my neighbor was at one of the events. His son uh, runs cross-country um, for our high school, uh, um, Hunter and Central. Okay. And he comes up and he's like, oh, man, what are you doing here? He's like, I knew you ran a company, but I didn't know it was like this. I was like, yeah. His son actually, you know, ended up with an issue. And it was. he's like, I'm so glad somebody's here. He's like, this is great. He's like, besides the fact that you're my neighbor and I can literally just bother you anytime right. I want. But it yeah, was really that, that neat probably to... opened up a door that you don't want to open. Right, exactly. That was <laughs> really coming over every other day. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, just as we kind of wrap up the interview, I got a few more questions for you. Um, what characteristics do athletes possess that, that come to you that lead to the best recoveries? 
I think the kids that have the mindset that they're going to get better right from the get-go, uh, that works really, really well. Um, you know, I told a kid today, um, you know, one of my favorite kids here. They're all my favorite kids, but a kid that really stands out. Um, I actually, I asked him for permission. I told him I wouldn't use his name, but just to talk about him a little bit. Okay. And it fits perfectly for this. Um, tore his ACL uh, last December, um, December 2015. Um, junior season point guard. Um, went up for a rebound, caught the ball. Uh, one of our players stepped on his foot as he made a quick turn to go up up floor with the ball. Um, had the tear. Made it to half court, sat down, came off, didn't really want me to touch him, which is which is fine. He was, you know, obviously he was in a little bit of pain. So uh, we were able to get him in. You know, unfortunately we got that diagnosis. Um, when he came back, the next time I saw him, because uh, it was in December, uh, just before Christmas, the next time I saw him, he looked at me and he's like, I just want you to know that I'm playing without a brace when I come back. I said, that's awesome because I think that's better. But I wasn't going to say anything at this point. He's like, nope, I already have my mind made up. I talked to the doctor the other day at the appointment. No brace when I come back. I was like, okay, awesome. What do you need me to do for you? He's like, just just keep me focused. Push me a little bit. So he would do his rehab at a PT clinic, and he would do some supplemental stuff with us, and we would talk about goals and you know, tried to be very goal-oriented. Um, he worked so hard, came back, got his clearance um, actually in July which is a great recovery period uh, for a torn ACL and a, and a kid like that. Um, no restrictions, no brace. Um, we kept up with his rehab through the fall season and things like that. He was doing some shoot, you know, some shoot around and some. Um, so coming into his senior year this year, uh, one of our better, better players, uh, we, we were, he was out a little bit of discomfort, obviously, you know, so we kept building the muscle and he was really starting to hit his stride as, as practices were going on. Right. Um, and then in the last scrimmage before, uh, before our opening night, uh, we opened on a Friday. This was, I believe on Tuesday, um, went up for an uncontested layup, landed weird. I had my back to the floor. I was filling up some water and talking to another kid um, and all of a sudden, uh, our assistant coach, who is our AD, uh, said, Alan, we need you. And I turned and I was like, what happened? I didn't even hear, you know, no whistle blew or anything. And here he comes just limping off to the side. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, oh, it's the same knee. I was like, okay, well, let's not panic. Like, you know, obviously we didn't want to take all the panic out. We, uh, we take him up, uh, put him on the treatment table, take a look. His mom comes down. Who's his parents are incredible. His older brother graduated last year. Great kid, a uh, great family. Um, so we're looking at it and I was like, you know, going through the eval and I was like, take a deep breath. Like, this is not your ACL. Take a deep breath. Same knee, but we're, we're okay. And he took that sigh, you know, that, that quick, you know, deep breath. And he's like, okay, what are we looking at? And I was like, well, it could be a couple different things. You know, I can't necessarily rule it out here, but let's see if we can get you an appointment, uh, with, with your orthopedic, um, and, you know, in the next day or two. So his mom called and got him in for the next morning at 8 o'clock, which was awesome. Um, and I was really worried about a medial meniscal tear. Um, was having some discomfort with McMurray's test and, and some other things. And um, I, I said, well, you know, we're really looking at either a bone bruise or a meniscal tear at this point. Um, everybody was hoping for the bone bruise, obviously. I uh, went to the doctor. Uh, his orthopedic surgeon said this. He went when, when, well, when the kid came back, um, 
he's like, oh, the doctor said exactly what you said. We're going to get an MRI, but he thinks it's probably more of a bone bruise, hopefully. Um, and then I'll, I, I get an email with the uh, MRI results uh, later that day. Um, bucket handle tear of the medial meniscus, which is not good and not fun. Um, and they recommended a repair, which is a four to six month recovery period. So that effectively ended his season, ended his high school career, and he's actually going to play in college. Um, so, you know, I've had to deliver some some bad news every once in a while. This was the by far the worst. I read that email three or four times to make sure I had everything in place. Um, brought the kid in uh, to the coach's room with our coaches, told him. He was upset at first, obviously. Um, he went out and, and called the, the coach of the college. And I was a little bit nervous when he told me he was going to do that because you never know the reaction they're going to have. And I, I credit the coach for a lot of this. He said, your status on our team does not change with this. You concentrate on getting better. And from that moment on, he took a minute to be upset. And I said, when you're ready, come back in and we'll talk about our options. He came back upstairs and he's like, tell me how I get better. That, that to me, is the, the best attitude ever. It makes my job so easy. Right. And he is working his way through rehab now. He actually had surgery. Uh, the doctor had a cancellation, so he had surgery the next day. It was the best, like, the, every, all the chips fell, or all the dominoes fell into place. It was really awesome. Um, had surgery for the meniscal repair, and he's working his way through now. And he's that kid that I have to rein back in a little bit. Like, he's like, oh, the doctor said I don't have to have the brace on anymore, and then he's shooting jumpers. I'm like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's back that down a little bit. You're making me a little bit nervous. And he kind of jokes about it, like, you know, I should stop worrying so much like I'm his own child, like he's my own child. But, right. you know, that's what they become. Um, and he's got – He's got such. He's got that laser focus. He comes in for treatments. He supplements his his PT in in the athletic training room, um, and it's really something to be admired. And kids do pick up on that. We had another kid get hurt. The kid I was talking about that scored 17 points. He saw how this other kid was rehabbing and doing all the stuff he needs to do. And even if he doesn't say it, he's affected by that. Right. If I work really hard, I'm going to get back to where I wanted to be. And, it, you know, it's a shame that it happened to this kid again because he was playing really well. He was, you know, going to be a massive, massive part of our offense and um, actually our whole team, you know. And now that same kid who's hurt doesn't miss a practice, even though he's not going to play again for his career. He's at every game sitting on the bench act, acting as a fourth coach, trying to coach up the younger kids that are now trying to take his place. We have a kid who's, you know, a sophomore trying to trying to fill a little bit of that void. And he's always coaching them up. Hey, try this, try this. Don't be afraid to do this. And I think that attitude is infectious, and you want that kid on all of your teams. Right. Um, so I love I, that. That's great. I, that I, I got chills when you said that the coach was like, you know what, like you work on getting better, your status right. doesn't that, change. It's great. And if and if that in all honesty, if that coach had said, you know what, we're done with you. Sorry. You don't want to play for that guy anyway. Well, ex- you're you're absolutely right. But as a kid, could you like how deflating would Devastated, that have been? Yeah. But to you know, he took and I give him credit. He took his minute to be upset, which he is more than his right to have. Yeah. And then he came back upstairs and said, "How do we get better?" And that's, I I was like, awesome, "You know yeah. what? That's that's phenomenal." Right now, how are we gonna get better? I want to get after it yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna ice you down today, but that's you know that's great. But I thought that was really I wanted to share that story because I think that's yeah, something super unique. It's perfect. Yeah. And and really really a great thing. It reminds me of. Um, I had Mason Robinson. He's a former Rutgers football player. He played in the NFL for, uh, I think, a year. Bounced around some training camps. Okay. He tore his ACL three times. And he had, like, 
that laser focus you were talking about, very goal oriented. He talked about these dreams, dream boards that he would make himself to kind of like, you know, visualize where he was going to go. Um, so maybe give your guy that that podcast to listen to. And, yeah, and like, that's that's awesome. My kids some, are all super excited. By the way, I told them I was going to be on a podcast, and they're all they're all really really into it, which I think is a great thing too. So great. Um, last couple of questions. So how does parent interaction affect your job? Um, now. Parent interaction has been significantly positive. When I came in at the beginning, I mentioned I was the first athletic trainer. It was all education. Parents didn't really know that I was here. I was at a lot of functions so that they, people could see me. I was speaking at events. You know, we have, um, we have like a meet the coaches night every year, and I talk about the paperwork that needs to come in. So we, um, you know, I was at a lot of stuff just trying to get in front of the parents so they knew who I was inviting them to come and talk to me and ask me questions you know it was it was a hard sell at the beginning a little you know people didn't really know because they hadn't had the experience and then in my third year no my second year here my son was born and i i tell people this when when parents ask me about oratory um because i'm at all the open houses and you know they come in and like I said, it sounds like an infomercial for oratory, but when my son was born, the outpouring of support my wife and I got from parents was unbelievable, unbelievably humbling, you know, gifts and, you know, onesies. And um, one of our parents, who's still a current parent, she had uh, two kids that graduated uh, together. They were twins, and now she has a younger son that's working his way through the school, went out and bought um, her kids' favorite books when they were kids and wrapped them up and gave them to us like that's not just giving someone a gift that's a community right there right and and it was it was funny because I would come home with gifts and my wife would be like I have more thank you cards to write this is unbelievable and I mean just just the outpouring of support and then um you know I'm not a big announcements guy uh my wife is the exact opposite she she likes to you know let everybody know what's going on which is fine um you know, so when we, uh, so when people obviously started finding out that we're expecting our, our second um, child, you know, it was offering of support. It was, you know, I had a parent give me, give me a gift the other day, which was completely unnecessary. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you really become part of the family. It's really a family community. And I see parents like alumni parents that come back. Um, I was talking to one of our hockey alumni parents. He had two kids that went to school here. Um, he came back because he just wanted to catch a game, and his kids weren't back in from college yet. And he came, and we were talking, and he, you know, he he's a great guy. The parents are very, very, very willing to help you in any situation. We have a lot of physicians and a lot of lawyers and a lot of you know people working in the financial district, and anyone that can offer their help, they always do. And I mean, you don't take them up on it, you know, depending right. on what the situation is. But that that really changed it for me when my son was born. That that. I, I don't I can't say for certain that would happen anywhere else. I think that's something that is very, very unique to this community. And I think there's really something to be said about that. The kids are very respectful. And I think that, you know, privileged, you know, kids who go to private school have a certain stigma amongst them. And, you know, I don't think we really have much of that here, which I think is a really great thing. So the parents are very receptive when I call them. Um, you know, they're normally, you know, I, I try to, if a kid gets injured, I never send a kid home who's actually injured without speaking to the parent. 
concussions are always, uh, is your mom coming to pick you up? Is your dad coming to pick you up? We're going to talk to them in person. You know, we set doctor's appointments. I communicate with them via email all the time. You know, they're very respectful and respective of that. And I think that it goes a long way um, into how they embrace the community. So, like, you don't get any pushback from parents being like, oh, my, he's not hurt or whatever? Um, it's hard to say no. I, I mean, that so, sometimes does occur. Um, once last year, le- legitimately one time last year, um, and it wasn't even that big of a deal. It was more of a we have to agree to disagree sort of situation, um, which, like I said, the administrative is very supportive. So, you know, there was a lot of support for me in that in that issue, um, which really wasn't a big deal. And, and you know, I, I've seen that parent since and it's been very, you know, very normal and no hard feelings or anything like that. Um, this year, I really, you know, nothing so far, nothing in my, you know, a little bit in my first year, maybe because they just didn't know you know, what my qualifications were and stuff. But now it's really, I make a phone call and say, hey, you know, I think we need to get him in to see a doctor. It's okay. Do you have any recommendations? You know, that's usually really how right. it goes now, which is great. So really, I think really as like people get more educated on what an athletic trainer is and they become more familiar with, you know, seeing you guys on a daily basis, whether it starts at, in youth sports and then get, you get into high school and you, you already know about athletic trainers, hopefully they're more receptive. Um, okay, so – what do you? What would you say the biggest piece of advice for athletes is to stay healthy? Work. Do your prehab, quote unquote. Stretch. Make sure that you're taking care of your body. Ice. Um, I send out a, a a lower extremity stretching protocol to all of my teams at the beginning of the seasons. Um, or I send it to the coaches, and they they you know pass the information out. Um, it's not about stretching before practice and, you know, just walking off the court or walking off the field and going home. You have to do things to take care of your body. You have to do things that are preventative. And I think a big, um, a big part of that is is becoming a better athlete. And that doesn't mean, oh, I I play good, I play baseball pretty well, so I'm only gonna play baseball now. You know. Playing baseball and playing football or playing basketball and playing another sport makes you a better athlete. It makes you a more well-rounded athlete. Your body gets used to being more agile. You you learn to move in different ways. You learn to be more functional. You learn to do all kinds of stuff. And I know that sports specialization is such a hot topic now. Um, and if there's any parents listening to this from someone who deals with an awful lot of, of athletes at, at all levels, um, you know, encourage your kids to play multiple sports. They don't have to be the best at every sport that they play. They don't have to be. I was not a superstar athlete in anything, but I played multiple sports and I don't and I'm not a great athlete, but you know, if you're really good at soccer, you know, playing basketball helps you become good. Right. It helps you become better and I think that sports specialization is a way that people can can become hurt. You know, especially we see it all the time in baseball with kids overthrowing and overthrowing and overthrowing and um you know, new jersey now is uh a da- or, um bringing to light a pitch count now for limiting pitchers uh, it'll be coming out for this spring um so they're going above you know that is going to be tough because i mean it's a great thing for the kids but you know we had our baseball meeting and and we sat down with them and said you know if you're pitching for oratory prep you cannot be pitching for a club team you cannot throw those many innings. You'll hurt yourself. Yeah. And then, you know, 
then you're you know you're 17 years old and you're getting Tommy John surgery like that should be unheard of. Yeah. So I think that you know putting in the work, putting in the effort, um, putting in the time, and playing multiple sports can help you avoid injury. Obviously, injuries are it's completely common, unavoidable, yeah. but the the, the the anti-sports specialization topic is definitely a, a theme of of the podcast. Right. Um, all right. So just to to finish out, you want to plug you know your website or for your business and ATSNJ anything? Sure. Yeah. Um. You know, if you're looking for information on athletic trainers, um www.atsnj.org is a great resource. Um, you know, you can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram uh, for the ATSNJ. Uh, for Premier Sports Medicine, uh, we are on um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Facebook is Premier Sports Medicine LLC. Uh, Instagram is Premier Sports Medicine, all one word. And um, our Twitter handle is uh, PSMATC. Uh, our website is uh, is premiersportsmedicinellc.com, um, and you know if you're looking for athletic training services, you know in any state uh, or in New Jersey, by all means, uh, feel free to reach out. Which all youth sports coaches should make sure that they have coverage. I, I happen to agree. Um, you know, I'll, if you want, you can put my email address on in the show notes. Or, all right. Um, it's aparcells at premiersportsmedicine.net. Uh, by all means, send me an email. Uh, I'm more than willing to have the conversation. Even if it's a conversation that you just want to look into and see how it would fit for your organization, all of our proposals are based upon the needs of the organization. That Everything is unique. If you want one thing and you don't want something else or you want this tweaked a little bit, we will do everything in our power to meet your needs. Um, we don't push our agenda. We look for what you need. And I think that there's something to be said about that. So, um other than that, if you know if you're a high school kid and you're looking for a school, check out Oratory Prep. Uh, it's a great place, and you know we're we're on the up and up, and we have a beautiful new facility that is uh, half open right now, which is which is great, and we'll really uh, we'll really do some do some great things for us in the future. Great, Alan. Thanks for taking the time to share your knowledge on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.